You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 96 called 14 Templates Every Teacher Can Use. In this episode, we'll share 14 templates that can be edited, altered, and used for your next lesson or project. Most of our selections for this episode can be used in any subject area and with any grade level. And don't forget to check out our show notes on gottech.com for all template links. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. back with another episode i i'm telling you it's it's october the school year's flying already my 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 son well all my sons but my middle one in particular is super excited about halloween i mean we just moved houses and uh, we asked him what he wanted his theme to be he goes halloween ghost jack skellington <laughs> i mean it's it's every single time he's been wearing pumpkins since last october he's just so pumped about Halloween. I think part of it is because his birthday is the day after Halloween. And he has a strong affinity to Halloween just because of that. And we once told him that, you know, his his actual dude date was Halloween. So here we go. We're getting into this Halloween uh, mode right now. And for some reason, October has been creative, very creative for me. Uh, I've had this creative burst where I'm just like, I have an idea. And then I actually follow through and put it to paper, or put it to a template and things like that. And I know you've been the same way, maybe not in October, maybe not because Halloween, maybe not because you don't have a birthday around Halloween, but I don't know why. I'm just uh, feeling very creative this time of year. How are you feeling? Yeah, I kind of, I guess similar. I, I think mine is sort of from, um, you know, because we are putting together a brand new class this year with uh, the World Ready Technology. That's our podcasting class. You may have heard us mention it in recent episodes. And anytime I'm doing that, it always kind of just, I don't know, that you start thinking and, and rethinking really about all your classes and, and what you could be doing differently and, and stuff that, you know, we're designing for a class about podcasting so recording and editing and all that kind of good stuff things there you kind of realize can apply to other classes too so I teach chemistry and I've already thought of some things like uh, I don't know we set up this uh, interest exploration activity at the beginning of the course to kind of challenge students to you know think about what are you interested in so you could find a topic that you don't mind podcasting on and and I've started just like my brain just naturally starts trying to figure out well that was cool how could I do that for chemistry. Maybe it's not interests, maybe it's something else, but using a, a similar format. And that may actually be the origins to this episode, now that I'm thinking about it, because a lot of these, uh, th- a lot of this creativity is being expressed in the form of templates. Am I, am I correct in that? Yeah, I mean, one thing I like about most of these templates is that because we were creative in making a template, we were also creating templates that allow students to be creative on top of that. So nothing should really look extremely the same. I mean, the content will be different based on whatever that students uh, assigned. So there's still creativity if you share these templates out with your students. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But I'm, I'm very excited to finally put some of these into template form because Nick and I, we share a Trello board and we put down all these ideas 
but most of the time we don't follow through on more than 15% of them, I want to say. But today, I'm happy to say that we will be sharing a bunch of templates. A couple of them we have mentioned on past episodes, but we thought we'd just get them all into one place. Uh, You know, the ones that we've made over the last, uh, I don't know, recently, I would say the last calendar year. Because a lot of them play nice with, no matter if you're in, in person or if you're in a remote setting or a hybrid setting. And one thing I really like about most of these is you can actually still teach using a hybrid format in your classroom. You just have to be creative in how you do that and turn it into like a gallery walk or a think pair share or something like that. Instead of using a big poster, now you're using something that is a little bit digital. There's nothing wrong with the poster form too. Uh, I just think that it allows some of these posters to come to life if we go digital. Yeah, I mean, that's where a lot of these things also came from trying to digitize stuff or, you know, during the past couple of years when we were teaching remote or hybrid and um, they work out pretty good. So that's why we're sharing them. I also want to say that this episode, if you're listening, say in your car, that's great, but this is really best accompanied by the show notes. So if you don't usually check the show notes for an episode, uh, this is one where you might actually want to. So as you listen, we're going to describe each template, kind of tell you what it looks like and how it works and how it would go be used in your class for a lesson. But if there's two or three that sound pretty cool to you, then you should head to gottech.com. That's our website, of course and find the posting for episode 96 because everything we mention here has a a link that you can click on it and get your very own editable copy. Uh, So I think that's important and I'll probably share that one more time as well about halfway through just in case anybody missed the message. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at wegottech. With that, I think it's time to start. Should we kick it off? Yeah, let's kick it off. And I think for the ones that we've mentioned maybe on a past episode, uh, we could be a little quicker with those. And then we'll get into detail with some of the uh, the ones that you know are relatively new. Yes, that's a good point. And I'll start with our first one, which I believe is one we've shared before. But it's a, it's a really good one. It's, a, it's our digital version of a gallery walk. So a gallery walk, everybody knows. Or maybe you don't know. You put up some posters around the room. The students kind of walk around and put sticky notes on them. Maybe each poster is like a different question or or a debate topic or something. And they leave their thoughts and ideas or questions or whatever it is. And as they sort of migrate around, they can read each other's questions and give feedback and respond to them. Um, And there's lots of spins on it, but that's the gist of it. So how do you do that when you are fully remote or when some kids are at home? Well, instead of posters, physical posters, you have a slide deck, a Google slide deck that is shared with the whole class. Everybody has edit access to it. And each slide is essentially your poster. So just like you would, you can post a a title to the slide. I think in our template, we have a student name assigned to each slide. And that's, you know, they can put on their slide, they can put whatever they want, whatever their prompt is, whatever you ask them to create. The gallery walk part and the sticky note part where you would typically have everybody walk around and look at each other's posters and leave sticky note comments now happens in the in the notes section the presenter notes really so we're sort of repurposing what is typically presenter notes as a spot to leave comments which i think is uh, my favorite part about this thing how's that sound 
That sounds pretty amazing. Uh, one thing I will say is gallery walks in a traditional setting do work. Uh, I've, I did them last year with AP Bio. But I will also say this. Gallery walks, if you have students dress up a slide that has all the requirements of that gallery walk on the slide. I am not a homework guy. I do not like to give homework just to give homework. And I will tell you this. Gallery walks, I don't mind assigning students uh, a slide to go look over, one of their peer slides. Just look over it before class. I could even give it as the do now to look over a slide and just be ready to introduce that slide to the class or leave a comment on that slide. And the reason why I really like this is it's that connection piece. It gets them warmed up, ready to go for the class. The other thing I really like about the gallery walk is it serves as a review for the remainder of the year, especially for our classes that you know, you have tests at the end of the year, all our APs and things like that. Well, guess what? Now they have something that isn't taking up room in their folder. It's not a big poster that they have to put somewhere. But now it's something that all the students have access to that allows them to look at this content later on in a fun way. Yep, that's a it's a great one and definitely one of our favorites on this list, as, as is the next one, number two. And we've been using this for a while. But I, it still is, is one of my top ones. We, we call it the Harry Potter newspaper. Um, but really, it's just a, a newspaper template where you, you, again, take Google Slides, take advantage of the fact that you can edit the size of that slide. Uh, so you, we make it, I forget the exact dimensions, so something to match what a typical newspaper would look like. And the template has like text boxes all set up with um, you know, some, some text really that the kids can delete and then fill in their own writing, their own article. Uh, the cool part is for the pictures that take up the typical newspaper image space, you use GIFs. And those GIFs, um, you know, they, they play when you view that slide. So you kind of have the, the Harry Potter effect of looking at a newspaper or a book where the pictures actually move. In the Google slide, they are GIFs, so they actually move. And it's kind of a fun thing to to make and it's even more fun to look at it when it's done. Uh, you could even post these online afterwards using the publish tool, the Google Slides publish tool, because you can view that slide uh, online and it, it looks pretty much like a newspaper. So that's a, a really great one. If you haven't seen our version of it before, make sure to check out the show notes. Um, we have a pretty cool secret here as well for, to, for creating GIFs, because you know if you've never tried to search a GIF before, the first move is to go to Google Images and if you I don't know, say you search puppies, if you just type puppy GIFs, it'll pull up images that are GIFs, but you can also make your own. Maybe I'll let you give this secret away for making GIFs. What do you think? Yeah, it's one that we found out about, oh, I don't know, maybe six, seven, eight months ago, but it, it is one of my favorites. Uh, if you have a video that you really like and there's a sequence in that video, maybe of four or five seconds, that you really like, uh, you can turn that into a GIF. If it's a YouTube video, what you do is you find that video, uh, you go up to the URL, and it's gonna be www.youtube.com slash all these uh, characters. Before uh, YouTube in that URL, if you type in GIF, that's uh, G-I-F, uh, right before YouTube and hit enter, it's going to pop up this GIF editor, and it's gonna allow you to select the portion of that video that you want 
to turn into a GIF. And you can add a, a title to it. You could add words to it. You could do whatever you want to, to change it. And then you download it and you have that GIF to use in your GIF newspaper. So that is pretty awesome. Uh, Nick, I'm going to allow you to just keep going because the next one's your baby. It, I, I mean, I always knew him as uh, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books, but you call them clickable Google Slides. Both tell the story, I guess, but uh, go ahead and... Yeah, I mean, your name's actually, your name sounds more exciting for sure. Um, but some of, a lot of the way that I use these is just for like quizzing, informative assessment, and I feel bad calling that an adventure because it's not exactly ad adventure-like. Uh, but uh, it's, you know, like you said, both names describe the same thing. You're in a Google slide and you can take an image or a shape and link that shape to another slide in the deck, which is cool because if you're viewing the presentation, you can click this circle and it takes you to slide 12, click a different square. I'm just saying circle and square as examples. Whatever you want can be linked, even text. But you click a different square or a different shape and it takes you to slide 20 and then you can read about that. And if you have like a little, you know, we put home images in it sometimes and home takes you back to the beginning of the slide deck. So you can navigate around from slide to slide, not by just clicking forward and reverse, but by actually clicking images. So you can take advantage of that by, you know, having asking the students questions, let's say and maybe true or false are two options. If they click true, it navigates them to a slide that says, correct, that is true. If they click false, it navigates them to a different slide that says that is incorrect, the statement was actually true, and then you can include any information to help them fix that issue for why they picked the wrong answer. Maybe, I don't know, so just some quick text to explain it to them, maybe a video that gives additional details. That's the simplest use. If you click the link for this template, that's the one you're going to get. It's like a formative assessment tool that the students can use. If you want to get really fancy, you can sort of make it more interesting by putting, I think I made one with a background, a backdrop of dinosaurs, like a bunch of T-Rexes and Velociraptors and stuff. And you can actually link clear shapes on top of the dinosaurs. So if you click a T-Rex, it takes you to the slide on T-Rex and you get information on that guy. And then you go back, click on Triceratops, takes you to the Triceratops slide. So that would be more of uh, what I would call a choose your own adventure, whatever you call it, they all work pretty much the same way. And it's it's kind of a fun, different thing to do uh, with with your kids. So that's that's another one that we would encourage you guys to go check out in the, uh, in the show notes. Yeah, I think that's very cool. And I think uh, you're really Deep in, or diving deep into your inner child and bringing back the dinosaurs. I'm, I'm wondering if your daughter's going to be into dinosaurs or not. I don't know, man. It's, I was into dinosaurs, but, uh, I mean, who knows? She could she could go anyway. We'll see. Yeah, I got my oldest uh, son a dinosaur when he was, like, four. Yeah. I think he took it out of the box. He looked at it, and he was kind of like, hey, Dad, what, what am I, <laughs> I going to do with this? That's so awesome. It's collecting dust somewhere. All right, our next templates are Jamboard templates. Uh, these are three that I like to use, whether it's a warm-up, whether it's some type of classroom organizational piece, uh, or I even like doing this for an article review or a book review. All right, so these are three templates that we could use now. I know Jamboard was huge when we were remote learning. 
uh, I would use this as an intro. The, at least the first one, I would do it as a do now um, at the beginning of class, just to see if I can identify areas of misconception in the content. Uh, the first one is a fact or fiction uh, template. And I put a little square in the middle that, that you could put your own sticky image there. Uh, and that could be your question that you ask them. Uh, or you could just get rid of that. And that could be uh, just a straight line down. And my idea here is that you would talk about something that you talked about the previous day or within the last week. At the beginning of the class, you ask every student to make their own post-it note. You could ask them to put their name on it, or you could ask them to, you know, just leave it blank. It could be anonymous. Either way, it's it's cool. And uh, you'll post that fact or that story or whatever you're using, and they'll drag their post-it either on fact or the fiction side. So both of those, uh, I feel like this is a great use for it. it. It is something quick and easy. It's a five minute exercise at the beginning or maybe even at the end of class. So that is the first one I call it fact or fiction. The second one is called the student response grid. I love this one, we use this one now. Uh, if we ask students a question, maybe this is a question they could think about all class period, but they have until the end of the class period to uh, post their response. If you have 25 kids in your class, it's very simple. You just create a grid uh, and you have numbers in each one of the squares within the grid. So I have 25 uh, squares and I have it labeled from 1 to 25. And then you ask students a question. You could post it on a post it within Jamboard or you could post it or you know, on your whiteboard and just say, hey, head over to the Jamboard. But each student is uh, assigned a number. So we have, we have 16, 17 students in our class. So they know their number from day one. And then what they do is they create a post-it and they fit it to their, their grid wall. Later on, I might even ask students to go respond to other students' answers. Uh, just to keep the discussion going and keep the learning going. But that's how I would use the student response grid. You could also use it in science labs. If everyone is doing the same exact uh, experiment, I call it a cookie cutter experiment, but sometimes that's what you, you want to do to get data. Uh, so say that they're doing push-ups for 30 seconds and then they have to measure their, their heart rate. Well, you could have each student put their, their heart rate into their own square, and then everyone has a copy of the data at the end, which they can make their graphs from. So there are many ways that you could use the student response grid. Uh, let's go into my third one, which is the five-minute book review. What I did is I created four squares. Uh, the first square, uh, I have something identifying what they're supposed to do in each square, but it says for the first square, uh, book title, please place an image of your book here. So they would find that image and paste it into that square. The second one is a summary uh, of the book. And once again, they would paste a post-it note over top of it. The third one are themes of the book. So they'll paste a post-it note and they'll try to identify the main themes. My favorite ones to do this are with uh, the Great Gatsby period, the 1920s, uh, and also to kill a mockingbird uh, that that period of time which is the great depression so 
if you have different themes during those times, like prohibition, things like that, you could put that in there. And then the last square is life connections. So how can we connect these themes to life or our time period now? Or maybe it's your personal life. You could do that if you want. Uh, but how can we make those connections? And I think that's where lessons are learned and that makes it very meaningful. But once again, each student would get a slide or when, do they call Jamboard slides jams? Is that what it is? I've heard, I've heard that before. Although to me, that's like the least easy to use or the word that makes the least sense. I call them slides or boards, but I think jam is the correct one. All right, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Maybe Kim Matina can come tell us what's going on <laughs> yeah. there. I know uh, Jamboard's her baby, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so I just think that this is a nice way of getting students to get excited about reading. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought Jamboard was going to be dead once hybrid learning and remote learning was over. I think it's still like one of the best ways to get a discussion going and let kids kind of share their thoughts out in the open first on the Jamboard space, and then you can just share that, present it to the whole in-person class, and kind of call some people out just to keep things moving and let the discussion build off of that. Yeah, what I like about it is it promotes synchronous and asynchronous learning at the same time. And that's something that we haven't really talked about, haven't really looked at, but during a class period, you have students working synchronously or we're doing a lesson synchronously, but you can promote these uh, jam boards to your class and have them work on those asynchronous maybe when they have downtime it's a great way to fill downtime so that's the jam board templates that we have there are th thousands upon thousands of jam board templates out there if you go over to wakelet type in jam board templates you'll be there for days looking at them and a lot of them are awesome yeah that's a, that's a good point so uh, let's lump our next two together um, so we count this as two, but I'll just say these are our choice board templates. Um, everybody should know or have a little bit of info on choice boards. It's something you show or present or print out as a worksheet and hand to your students or, or just give them access to. And it summarizes some choices that they have. Uh, you might know these maybe as playlists or learning menus. There's all slight differences between these, but I put them in the same category because they're all about student choice. Um, GotTech has developed two of our very own choice boards that you really won't find anywhere else. They are called the Targeted Learning Board and the Choice Board Pyramid. Um, both are kind of in this realm of you got to see them to fully get it, but I'll try and give like the briefest explanation I can. Starting with Targeted Learning, um, we developed a choice board kind of modeled off a, a target, right? Like uh, if you're playing darts or something, where the outermost ring, the biggest one, has sort of a collection of many different options the students can choose from. And as, as they work inwards, they're slowly uh, choosing different things to hone their learning or hone their skills towards this one, uh, let's say one standard or one learning goal that's put at the center of the dartboard or the, or the target. Um, so we're just sort of building a choice board off of, off of that image. And uh, the, the pyramid is actually very similar, although our choice board pyramid is guided or built specifically around student content creation. And I think I'm gonna let Geist talk about this one because it's kind of his baby. And uh, it's, I think, one of the best ones we've got on this list today. Yeah, I, 
I'm very excited about this one. This one has gotten some decent traction in the world of education. So every once in a while, we we hit one out of the park. I think this is one that we we did that with. So the choice board pyramid basically is four different levels. The first one is coming up with a way to gather knowledge through research or whatever and get it organized. So we have four different choices here. So this is the bottom layer of the pyramid. They could create a display wall, create a storyboard, uh, create show notes, or propose a way to show your understanding or how you are organized. So with each one of these in this template, it's all linked. So when you click on any one of these boxes, what it's going to do is it's going to have a rubric there. It's going to show how many points it is in how they earn those points. So the one thing I like about it is each activity is slightly different, but there's a rubric in there that fits each one of those activities. So it gives them autonomy to choose what they want to do in order to get organized and to have things researched and ready to go for their content creation. The reason why Nick and I promote content creation in classrooms with content is oftentimes I know I feel this way, I'm pretty sure Nick feels the same way, but most of the time students work on this big project for a couple days or a couple weeks, they turn it in, it gets graded, and then it dies. Well, with content creation, you're able to get this turned in, get a students to work on an assignment or a project, turn it in, and then there's always a publish option, which I'll get to in a second, but that's what we're working towards here. We want we want things to have life, to uh, be templates or exemplars for the next students to build off of, and so we're just getting a little bit better each time. All right, so that was level one. It's creating uh, an organized uh, organization for your project through research. The next one is creating something, whether it is a video, a screencast, or a podcast. Once again, if you if your students click on any of these squares, it has a rubric in there, exactly how many points and how they get those points. The next level, once they're done uh, editing and getting that polished project, what they have to do is they have to decide whether they're going to schedule an interview with the teacher or if they're going to write a reflection. Either way, the teacher will provide feedback to that student as to how they did up to this point. Maybe they need to go back and re-identify some concepts that they, they did in the previous step or maybe eliminate some misconceptions. After they're done with the interview or the reflection, finally they're going to post, publish and post or post and publish. Uh, my suggestion is to have students keep a portfolio. If students keep portfolios throughout their high school experience, they have an easy artifact that they can hand to colleges to see what they're all about. Uh, they also have a study aid from the beginning of the year to the end of the year that they'll be able to use when they're taking their midterms, their finals, their AP tests, things like that. So this is the choice board pyramid. It's all about content creation. Uh, one of the biggest things that I hear about it is that their biggest like cons about it is they think that it's going to take a whole lot of time and my response to that it doesn't have to this could be one period this could be you know a sign on a Monday collect it the following Monday thing where you know, 
they take their downtime and they work towards it. So it doesn't need to be this long elaborative project. It could be a one, one class period thing uh, where your standards for the perfect uh, piece of audio may be, you know, taken down a couple notches. But the choice pyramid, I think, is pretty cool. I think you should check it out and uh, you should share how your students use it in class. Yeah, that would be really awesome. Is to, we, we like it so much, we'd be kind of curious to see how everybody out there is using it. Uh, so that's definitely one of our faves here. The, uh, the next four of these are all within the category of a certain extension that you hear us talk about a lot. That extension is MOTE, M-O-T-E. Uh, we're doing a, a PD this coming week on assessment and effective assessment. And a big part of that PD is going to be focused on ways to do formative assessment. So gathering information, you know, during the learning process to help guide that process. And something that we kind of stumbled upon is that moat, you know, and if you don't know, let's back up. Moat is uh, leaving audio Google comments. So when you comment on a Google Doc or slide, instead of typing it, you click the purple moat button and it, you can talk it out and it transcribes that into text, but then students can also click and hear your voice recorded in that comment. So that's it's kind of like raw purpose, but we sort of started realizing, as did the, uh, the moat founders themselves, that this has tons of other uses. And in particular, on a Google slide, you can leave moat comments on different areas of the slide. So click one spot and it leaves a little comment on that spot. Um, so this kind of has ballooned or exploded into tons of different templates. Um, and I'll just give you the titles of them, Moat Maps, Moat Debate, Moat Group Discussion, and then our newest one is a pre-writing Moat Template, where the debate or the discussion or your pre-writing takes place with different audio comments, a lot of the times from different students all on the same slide. Um, and that can be, you know, sort of a lead into the activity that takes place in class, or you can run the entire thing via these moat comments. So that's my, my best attempt at an overall introduction to these. Um, do you want to maybe give a closer overview of some of them? I kind of skipped over moat maps too, uh, which is a particularly cool one. Yeah, so I'll, I'll quickly go over all these. Like Nick said, Moat is an amazing feedback tool, but it's also so much more. Uh, I have used Moat a lot since it came out. I mean, I use it all the time, and students really like the personalization of getting voice comments uh, from their teacher. Uh, one of the comments I heard is that I know that they actually read my lab or my report because they're giving me voice feedback and I feel like they couldn't do that uh, honestly if they didn't actually read it, which is a great point. So they really like that type of feedback. Uh, the first one that I'll go over is the President Moat Map. Uh, I don't know why this week I've been all over Moat. I've been all over these templates. Uh, I really like creating them. But the first one, if you teach presidents or anything with the United States, you could probably use this map for that. But my idea here was if uh, a class was working on the presidents and they were each assigned a president or two presidents, what they could do is find a little image of that president and put that image on the United States where they're from, their birthplace. Okay, so what I did with this one is I, I took Abraham Lincoln, I placed him in Kentucky. 
I, I have a direction slide, which is slide two. They had to find an image of their assigned president, place it on the map slide. Uh, then they also had to take that image and place it on their information slide. So each uh, student will put an image of the president on the map, and then they will also be responsible for uh, a slide for their president. They're going to have to say what numbered president they were. So Abe was the 16th president, and where they were from, I put Kentucky. Uh, the next thing that they had to do is find three pictures that represents three accomplishments or interesting facts about the president. Uh, and then the last thing is they're going to use Moat to create a tour of their slide. So I use Moat to do an intro of Abe Lincoln. So his name's Abe Lincoln. He was the 16th president. He was from Kentucky. That was one Moat. My first interesting fact was Abe Lincoln was the first president to have a picture taken during his inauguration. Uh, I mean, it's not like a close-up picture of Abe. You can see him, he's a little pin, but it's a very famous picture, so I put that in there. My second interesting fact is hours before he was assassinated, he created the uh, Secret Service. He signed it into a bill. But it wouldn't have saved his life anyway because uh, the Secret Service was not about um, protecting the president. That was uh, that role of the Secret Service was changed many years later. And the the last fact was Abe Lincoln was an amazing wrestler. Uh, he was inducted to the Wrestling Hall of Fame, and they say that he won. Uh, he only lost one time in an estimated 300 wrestling matches. So that's pretty solid. So uh, that was my slide. And then there's also a little image of the map that if they click on it, they could go back to the United States map and choose a new president. And that's how that would work. So that is moat maps for presidents. So let's get into our next one, which is the moat debate. And this one, super excited about, I threw this one uh, out on Twitter and a lot of people had some positive things to say about this one, but going back to my bioethics days, we would have a lot of debates in there. One of my favorite was mountaintop mining. And for some reason, that's what I was thinking about when I decided to create this template. And I must say that a lot of these templates, there are things like this template, not really on debates, but other uh, templates that I made, you could go to the Moat Learning Hub. Uh, if you just Google Moat Learning Hub, you'll find a lot of other templates that inspired some of the ones that I made. But uh, this one, just to take you through it, you have two sides to every debate. They have a topic. Um, they would get this template and they would type in the pro position, the con position right in there. So it's very clear what they're arguing for or what they're arguing against. And then after that, you would assign uh, the pros to do their three arguments. And while they're doing their three arguments, you would have the cons do their three arguments. And then after all the arguments are done, they would go and do the rebuttal to each one of the arguments. And sometimes this overlaps and that's okay, but uh, they're gonna do their rebuttal and all these arguments and rebuttals are going to be done using moat and you're going to get that audio so this will be done in google slides as well and when that's all done you the last thing that you would do is your closing remarks and that would also be a moat recording of the audio as well so 
Really like this one. I think it's short, sweet, simple. Once again, this could be used as an intro or a conclusion activity or an activity that could just fill in the gaps uh, when there's some downtime in the class. So you could do an argument a day or you could do what is the pros position, what is the cons position one day and then do an argument the next day and an argument the next day. I'll, uh, if, you're, if that sounds good to you, then in the template we're providing you in our show notes for this episode, uh, these also, many of these, and this is one of them, they have rubrics included right there. So if you're you know, hesitant, wondering how am I going to grade this or have the time to plan that out, you don't even have to do that. Slide two of the, uh, this version has a rubric that we would use to grade this on a, a four-point scale. Um, so for the, you know, to make it as easy as possible on you, you can go ahead and use that or you could not and just kind of use it as a, as a template to make up your own rubric, sort of as a starting point. But I did want to sort of point that out to people because I think that's really helpful. Yeah, my idea with the, the rubric is not only can the teacher put their feedback there, but also if you want, you could have student graders where what they do is they drop in a moat somewhere in that rubric where they think it, it fits. This is why I think you deserve a four on this section of clarity. This is something that you could have done better. So there's that extra layer of feedback that also can go in there. The, uh, the next one is the moat group discussion. So this could be a group discussion. This could be a book discussion. There are so many different uses of this one. So in this case, I did a book as my example. So there's, there's a shape in there and that shape has a key saying, hey, this is where you need to put your book uh, for the discussion that we're about ready to have. And then the next shape are, are uh, blue squares and it asks the student to identify five different themes that that book has to offer. And then the next shape are circles. And for those circles, they have to provide specific examples from the book where this theme is identified or talked about in the book. And then the, the last thing is another square. It's a, blue, a lighter blue square. And what they have to do is they have to explain how these themes are coming up in everyday life. So they're making connections to current events or personal events or, or things like that. So this is all done with Moat as well. The directions are on there, the keys are on there, all that stuff is there ready to be used. And we have this for a, a book review, but if you teach in the social studies field, this could be you know, a guide for students to help analyze a historical document and they pretty much would be making all the same comments. You'd have to adjust the directions at the top a little bit. In the sciences, this could be, I don't know, looking at a lab report or some sort of a scientific article. I know it always takes a lot to kind of give students that scientific literacy because reading about science can be tough. So something like this would be great at kind of forcing them to break it down into five themes or five different findings of the research and then leaving Moat comments to kind of talk it out. Uh, and then be able to share that and, and, and really think about it deeply. So, you know, just because something's set up as a book review doesn't mean you can't kind of mold it to fit really any purpose. And our last one is kind of built around uh, a similar thing, and, and this is our newest one. It's called the a pre-writing exercise. 
So this might actually only work in the, in the language arts field. You'll have to kind of clarify that one a little bit for people. Yeah, so basically there's five parts of a story. This one I'm, I'm thinking about back to my childhood. I, I have these big bear paws and, you know, writing, you know, that fine dexterity uh, was not my strong suit. I was a left-handed smudger, so anyone that's left-handed to write with pencil or ink, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, you know, I didn't really write extremely fast. My, my ideas are way faster than what I can write or even, you know, do bullets of. So I thought, hey, why don't we, you do pre-writing using Moat, you know, to record your ideas for each part of the story. So I broke it down into exposition art, and I give this guided question. How are you going to introduce the setting and characters? To the rising action is the next one. What conflicts will the main character or characters face? To the climax, what's the most exciting part of your story? What lessons will be learned from your story? The falling action, what are the events that will lead to the conclusion of your story? And then the resolution, how will you end your story? Tie up all loose ends. So these are the five parts. So if I'm thinking about what I wanna write, and this is a creative writing piece, or really you could do it with any type of writing. I could argue that you could do it with poetry too, because a lot of times poetry tells a story from start to start to finish so really this is a way to get multiple ideas down and not have to worry about your hand catching up to your mind all right speak your mind this is where it's, it's good to speak your mind to speak it and i know you could go back and you can listen to it and see if those ideas are still good ideas or if you want to eliminate some of them and take it a different direction yeah, that's cool for pre-writing because, like you said, you're just sort of talking and letting things flow out freely rather than typing, which is maybe a little bit slower or clunkier, and you might not get all the, the best, most natural ideas to kind of come to the surface. So that's a really great application there. I'll get, I'll get started with our last few of these. One of them is another, it's a few years old now, but it's one of our more popular ones. We called it a Bitmoji scenes template. So if you you're probably familiar with Bitmojis, the little cartoon versions of yourself that you can build. Well, they have a thing called Bitmoji Scenes that puts your Bitmoji, your little cartoon character in a scene, right? So the classrooms, office spaces, there's tons of them. If you take that scene and make it the background to a Google slide, you can then sort of insert things on that that are clickable. And, and this one in particular that we've linked for you guys in the show notes is a, a different version of a choice board. Um, where it's, you know, my Bitmoji scene and behind me, behind my little cartoon is a whiteboard. And on that whiteboard are the three different options that students have for this assignment. And they are clickable, so if they wanna do the digital board game, they click on that and then it takes them to a different slide in the presentation that describes the task, that describes this board game choice. And there's two others there that you can edit out as well. Yeah, I will throw out a little uh, warning for this one. Uh, we had some s teachers that did a Bitmoji scenes template for each one of their weeks throughout the year during remote learning. And uh, instead of doing just that week's, they would build on the last one. And so at the end of the year, they had like, I don't know, 40 different slides, all with all these animations and videos and all that good stuff. 
it takes a long time for all that stuff to load. So it can slow down the system. If you're going to do it, I would just push it out one scene at a time or one week at a time and not have them. You could keep your own collection in your Google Drive, but only give them the one that they need. That's a great point, especially if your kids are on Chromebooks. They are often not the most powerful devices. So sometimes you can overload like one single, especially Google Slides. Um, you can kind of fill it up to the max and it just takes forever and kind of kill some of that time. But that's a good one too. Uh, our next one is a digital game template that we have made uh, kind of following like a board game theme where you start at one end and work your way around a game board. Um, I believe this is the one with a little image of a, of a dice rolling so you can click it and you even have the digital effect of rolling a die which is pretty cool. Each time you land on a game board space you can kind of preload those with whatever uh, whatever you want as the teacher editing this thing. Is this the one with the with the dice that I have that correct? Yeah, this is the one with the dice. And I will say that there are a lot of templates on slidesmania.com that kind of fit with this. So, I mean, we have ours there. Uh, I know that Paula and Slidesmania has a lot of gamification templates out there that you could be used that you can use in your uh, in your class in your lessons. You could give these right to your students and have them make up the game as well. You don't need to uh, put all the burden of making a, a big uh, quiz game on your own. You could have a template from one of these two sites, or you can have your students make it, and they will learn by making the quiz questions as well. It'll get them thinking like that. Uh, our next uh, template is our 3x5 digital index card. This is a super easy template, but oftentimes I hear that teachers allow their students to have a 3x5 index card to help them with a test or a quiz or, or something like that. Or maybe you need them for doing a presentation. Well, if you're like me and you have chicken scratch for handwriting, why not do it digitally? Put it on a uh, 3x5 digital index card and then you can print them out and it's nice and neat. So we'll include a 3x5 index card template as well. And now we're going to get into our last template. And I know that this is something that Nick has put a lot of energy into. So why don't you go ahead with that one? Sure. I mentioned it earlier in the episode. I call it an interest exploration. We used it for our podcasting class. But I thought it might be helpful for any time you are opening up some type of a, let's call it a passion project, where students are choosing a topic of their choice for the assignment. Um, if you want to begin that project with some time solely devoted to what are you guys interested in? Like if you're gonna pick this topic, it should be something that you actually care about. A lot of the kids don't, they don't always take the time to, to think about what they are interested in, at least things that might work in an academic setting. So uh, this is a, a guide that you can make a copy of to walk you through that. It's really simple, it's got one slide one Google Slide set up for them to put in an image of themselves at the center and then sort of graphic organizer style. There's some boxes with text boxes coming off of it where they can, you kind of force them. I think I have it set up for eight, which I think might be a little bit too many. That's sort of a stretch for some people. So if, if you get a copy of this, I might actually recommend deleting a couple of them and kind of adjusting it that way, but keep it with all eight, it's up to you but just spend some time really brainstorming what those interests might be. So that's, uh, I believe, our 14th and final template. I know I've said it a lot. I'm going to do it one more time just in case 
episode 96 show notes on gottech.com is where you're going to find links to all of these templates that we mentioned. Uh, when you click them, it will have you, it'll force you to make your own copy so you don't mess with ours and then you can edit it as you see fit and use it for your class. Yeah, so I think that's going to bring us to the end here. If you want to help us out, please uh, tell a friend, tell another teacher, educator, staff member about our podcast, or if they're just into digital technology and they would find some value, please tell them as well. You could always go over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts now, and uh, leave us a review, and uh, that would be very beneficial for us. Uh, just follow us on social media, Twitter, at we got teched is the podcast at nick got teched or at guys got teched our own personal uh twitter handles and we'd just like to say thank you to all those out there that have shared our podcast with others a uh, big shout out to our podcast buddy and friend brian carpenter for continually spreading the word uh until next time go out and try one of these templates if you use it tell us about it We'd love to see how you're using it. And if you have a way to make one better, please let us know. And we're always looking to improve our practice ourselves. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.